Good morning. <clears throat> I greet you in Jesus' name. It's a privilege to be here with you all this morning. Um, in some ways it feels like home. In other ways I'm surprised how many new faces there are here. Some of these folks, I know which family they fit in, but I, they were really small the last time I really remember them. Afraid some of these young folks, I can't begin to guess what your name is anymore or other than tell you which family you belong in. Um, it is a blessing to be here with you. It's a privilege to us. We are not planning to be home a second time this year. Um, Crystal's younger brother got, just got married last weekend, and so he came home for the wedding. And we, it feels special to be here this, this soon after having been here. It feels much more home than it did uh, coming home after a year and a half or two years. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke 15, I'd like to look at the story of the prodigal son. I've been blessed to be here this morning, um, blessed with the opening and the Sunday school. Brian, I think it was, said that you shouldn't preach something until it's part of you. I'm not 100% sure if this message is part of me yet, but um, maybe, we'll get a, maybe we'll get a more realistic view of what my preaching is usually like rather than a sermon that's had more time to polish here. <clears throat> And Gerald, you don't have to feel obligated to ask me to preach when I'm around. I appreciate the opportunity, but I don't mind hearing other people preach either. Um, I, I will say I did study a lot more this, this weekend than I would have otherwise. That's probably a good thing. I appreciate the opportunity to study. I'm afraid I'm not very disciplined without something to, to have to study for. Luke 15, uh, Christ has three parables here. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son, or you could say the lost sons. <clears throat> and the three parables seem to be in response to the Pharisees that were complaining about Christ being with sinners. And um, the first two parables, he gives just a little bit of interpretation at the end. Talks about there being joy at repentance. And I think that's what the, what the last parable is about as well, although Christ doesn't really interpret it. He just gives a story, and there's a little bit of interpretation in the story, but he doesn't really explain the, the story very well at all. He more just gives a story and expects us to, to learn from it. The first two stories, uh, God is doing the seeking. You see the man searching for his sheep, the shepherd searching for his sheep, Second story, you see the woman looking for a piece of silver. But in the last story, you see the prodigal returning to the father. And that's, that's not to say the father isn't seeking, but it's a, it's, it gives a little more of the, the human side of, of our relationship with the father. We're not just pieces of silver that sit there waiting for the father to come find us. There's a bit of responsibility on our part as well. <clears throat> So I appreciated Gerald's opening. He talked about the repentant one, and that's kind of what I'd like to look at today is repentance. There's several different themes we could look at here, or I came up with four, and you, can, you probably can find more. You know, it's a little scary to preach here because you folks are a lot more polished than my usual audience. Like uh, last Sunday I was in a church, I was at Darren's church, and both people that got up in front carried up these little, what are they called? You know, notebooky things, um, iPads or something of the sorts, and you're preaching out of this, and I'm used to my dog-eared notebook, and 
is, it was a little bit, a little bit bewildering. I wasn't used to this sort of thing. <clears throat> um, anyway, that's beside the point. We've got a, we can work from the Bible, and there's truth here whether we're polished or not. Fourth, the four themes that I notice in this, and there's more that we could pull out, I'm sure. Probably the biggest one is the faithfulness of the Father, the love and the forgiveness of God uh, towards man. This, and that's not actually the one that, I, that Christ was focusing on here, but it's one of the important themes of it, is the way the Father is ready to forgive when the repentant sinner comes back. And we as humans tend to think there has to be some sort of penance or some time in purgatory or something before the Father will accept us. And we don't see any of that here in the story of the prodigal son. I think there is a requirement, but, it, but it's not that the son has to do a lot of work to, re, to receive the Father's favor again. The theme that Christ was maybe centering on was the joy of the repentant sinner, because that's what the other two uh, parables in this chapter are about, that there is joy in heaven when a sinner repents. And that's why Christ was reaching out to sinners, because sinners need repentance. The third theme that we could look at, and I want to more focus on this one, is the necessity and then the process of repentance, what, what repentance is. And then finally, we could look at our sinfulness and our rejection of God and our condemnation of others. We'll probably touch on that as we go through this because it's part of the, of the repentance story or the need of repentance in our lives. Now, I was reading somewhere recently, I think it was a, I think it was a, well, actually it was, was in my Power Bible computer program, but I think it was by R.A. Torrey that he says that one of the ways you should study a chapter is you should go through and find who the characters are. And in this case, we have five different characters in the story of the prodigal son. Um, we have the father, and that's easy to understand. That is God. No question about it. That is God reaching out to us. Then we have the prodigal, and that's the sinner. Christ maybe was talking about Gentiles here. Um, but it include, included other sinners as well, whether Jews or Gentiles. And it's also us. That we very much fit in that category um, in our relationship with the father. We're the prodigal. There's the character of the older brother, who was, Christ was probably referring to the Pharisees, the self-righteous Jews, but we also fall in that category as well. Uh, he was just as needy as the prodigal. He just didn't realize it quite as clearly. And then... There's two other characters which you barely see. The one was a citizen of the far country. Uh, that was the one that the prodigal became a servant of for a while. And then there are the servants of the father. And the citizen of the far country, I don't know what, exactly what you'd call him. Maybe he's Satan, maybe he's the world, maybe he's other sinners that this, that this prodigal was, was um, serving. Servants of the father, I don't know, perhaps it's us some of the time, perhaps it's angels. Um, they're, they're the ones that bring the gifts to the Son. So I'm not exactly sure. Sometimes that's God works through us. Sometimes he works through other people. The three central figures, though, are the, the father, the prodigal, and the, and the um, older brother. I'd like to just read through this, beginning at verse 11 of Luke 15. And we'll read to the end of the chapter, and then we'll come back and kind of look through the, the story, follow down through it. 
Luke 15, 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. The father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was, a lo- he was lost and is found and began to be merry. <clears throat> now his elder son was in the field and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in, therefore his father came out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. It's an interesting story of Christ, a story about relationship between a father and two sons, and very much a picture of our relationship with, with the father. Let's just back up to verse 11 and look at the first three verses there, 11 through 13. And I'd like to title this section that we have sinned. Um, I'd like us to think about ourselves. We could think about prodigals and think about other people, but I'd like us to think about ourselves in this. Um, this younger son came to his father and demanded what, was, what he felt like was his. He was a proud young man. He wanted his father to give him what was his. Uh, one, one commentator said he was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance. I don't, I don't know. It, seems, it sounds like his mother place I was reading that it was actually not outside of custom for the father to distribute some of the inheritance before his death. Whatever the case, though, he was being pretty demanding and pretty proud about what he wanted. Bottom line is, in our relationship with God, There are times we say, God, I don't really need you. I would like to take my own way. And even though you've told me what's best, I think I've got a better idea on my own. And that's the direction I want to go. Um, I always like to look back at Adam and Eve, their their relationship with God, when they decided they knew something better than than what God had for them. You can see the love of the father right in this very first relationship with the father, first conversation with him. 
father was, loved his son enough to go on and allow him to take that step and mess up. He knew that what the son was doing was not something wise. He understood that his son was trying to cut his ties with the father and, and go and try life on his own. But the father loved his son enough not to say, hey, son, you need to stay here and you know, be under me a little while longer. He was ready to let the son go, trusting that the son would eventually come back. The plan of God from the very beginning was to allow man to have choice. And we very well know that, that God knew from the very beginning that what choice was going to mean. Choice was not going to mean choosing God. It was going to mean choosing other things. And it's just God's way of highlighting his faithfulness to man. It was allow man to, to make that choice to step away from him. The son did not appreciate what he had. He wasted what the father gave him. It says he scattered or he wasted his substance. Interestingly enough, I think we were talking in Sunday school about scattering. Somewhere I saw, I didn't go back and look at Greek, but they, they say that this word wasted is the same as somebody who's sowing seed. He's scattering. That was the way the son lived. He just threw everything away, scattered it around. It wasn't used wisely at all. And I think the word prodigal means that he was a drunkard. Like he was not just enjoying life. He was in debauchery. He was living life very poorly. The son didn't appreciate what he had. He wasted what the father gave, and he was cutting all his ties with the father. When he received his inheritance, he was saying, Dad, I'm not coming back. This is it. I'm done. I'm going out, living life on my own, and I won't be coming back. And he couldn't return as a son because now he had taken his inheritance, he had cut his ties, and he was going to live life on his own. I appreciate that um, God in his love, he makes his, his relationship with us clear. God's, there's not a question as to whether we can sin a little and still be in a relationship with the Father. Um, here, the, the story is very clear that he cut ties and he went out on his own. And when Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't say, you know, you made a bad choice this time. We're going to give you one more chance to prove yourselves. There was one bad choice and that was it. The test was clear, and once they had broken, once they had disobeyed, um, they were clearly not in good grace with the Father. Now, I don't think that we have to fear in our Christian lives that God is quite that way. I think God deals with a sinner in that way, and then as Christians, that there's grace and forgiveness and a continued relationship even when we fall. It's not that as soon as we fall, God cuts us off. But in the relationship with the sinner... One sin is all it takes to break that relationship with God. We don't live as a sinner believing that perhaps we are still within God's good graces because our sins haven't been but so bad. We all are like the prodigal son. We've all, re we've all rejected the Father. And the root of all sin is rejection of God. And we can all look at ourselves and compare ourselves to other people and say, in comparison to others, my sins are not so bad. And yet, when you go right back to the root of all our sins, it is rejection of what God, it's rejection of God himself and rejection of God's plan for our lives. And any time we reject God, we're cutting our tie with God um, as a sinner. I think, I think there's a difference between us as sinners and us as, as Christians. Although, as a Christian, we can't continue rejecting God and, and, and expect that tie to be maintained with him either. 
Romans says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we all fall in this, this category of the, of the younger son, of the prodigal. Um, it seems like, in my personal life, my tendency is to think that I haven't been but so bad. I don't know if you all, if you all experience that or not. Um, sometimes, do you ever get the feeling, sometimes it would have been easier if we'd have grown up, you know, in a, in a, a bad home and poor situation, you know, had to struggle with sin and eventually come to Christ and the, the miraculous difference that there would have been that we could really recognize what we were saved from. I don't think that's true. But I do think that the more we can understand how terrible we are, even if we've grown up in a Christian home, even if we have lived a fairly good life, the more we can realize the, the grand gap there is between us and God and how much we've consistently rejected God, it changes our relationship with God. Um, I would not suggest that you try a life of sin just so that you can experience a life of grace. However, what God would have us to realize is that our lives are lives, lives of sin without him, no matter what our background is. We all have sinned. That's what I would like us to notice in these first three verses. Then moving on to verse 14 through 16. When he had spent all, there rose a mighty famine, and he began to be in want. Sin brings need, if we're really honest about it. Many times we're not very honest with ourselves, and we feel like sin is something that we can play with, and it doesn't really hurt us too much. But Satan is a, is a hard taskmaster. And if you look at this, at this young man, Satan treated him quite badly. Dwayne Evie told me once, uh, among others, he wasn't talking just to me, we were having a, talking about some, some power that Satan has. He said Satan gives, but he always takes more than he gives. Sometimes Satan does give us things. In fact, a lot of times he gives us things. But when he gives, he always takes something else of greater value away. And we, in our exchange with him, maybe look at the thing that he's giving and say, I'm getting something. But we forget that we're losing something else. The son thought he was getting something, and in reality, he was losing a lot more. He wasted his, his substance, first of all. Verse 14 says he had spent all, then a famine came, and then he became a servant to try to, to, try to, keep, to, try to stay alive. Satan gave him some work, but gave him no food. Satan had given him a good time, but in the end, gave him nothing. And I have to think again, this, in this story, the father didn't send the famine. But in the story of our lives, God is the one that sends the famines. And it's just another picture of God's love towards us that even though maybe we don't feel like God is seeking us, he's doing things to remind us how badly we need him. And... Again, in this story, it wasn't the Father that sent it, but in reality, God is the one that sends us times of need. If we could just see sin as God sees it, we would recognize that any sin damages. Satan's goal with sin is always to take what God has, has given, what God has made, twist it, damage it, destroy it, do anything he can so that it's not the beautiful thing that, that God made. In the case of this prodigal, sin destroyed his relationship with his father. That was the first thing damaged. Sin destroyed his character in his 
in his lifestyle. His character was destroyed. His, his older brother later on said, this man lived with harlots. He was a drunk. You know, why would my dad want him back? Sin destroyed his possessions, and then sin almost destroyed his life. He was so hungry that he was trying to eat the, the pig's food. This man got to the point, this, this son got to the point where he stooped to doing the lowest job he could possibly do, that of feeding unclean animals. For a Jew, that would have been tremendously low to go and feed pigs, things they weren't supposed to even associate with. And he even wanted to eat the food that these animals were eating. Um, somewhere, I, somewhere I ran across, they said that these husks or these pods were the sort of thing that John the Baptist ate. He's a fairly humble man, evidently. Um, that he was considered one of the poorest of foods, but he wasn't even able to get that. And it says, and no man gave unto him, um, evidently that is in, in a continuing, um, how do you say that? Like there's a continuing action there. Continually nobody gave to him. It was the custom. They knew, he, he lived in this state for a while and over and over, nobody would give him anything. Um, he was totally at the bottom of things. Sin always brings need. And it's true that God redeems and that God can take our need and change it into, into something that he can use. And yet sin always has its effect on us. And I'm not sure where the balance is between what God's redemptive power can do in us in restoring what has been taken away and where there's still an effect, effect from sin, repercussions from it that that remain in our lives. But sin brings need. And you see this, you start to see this progression in the, the life of this young man. First, first, he, first he's in sin, then he, starts to, he goes into need, and now I'd like to look at how he recognizes his need. In verse 17, he came to himself and said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough in his spirit, and I perish with hunger. All of a sudden, this young man wakes up and realizes his, his position. He, he's actually living a worse life than his father's servants do. And he's right at this turning point. He has to make a decision. Is he going to repent? Is he going to go back to his father or not? And he admits that his choice turns out bad. And that back with dad, things were better. And even the poorest people there are rich. If there's going to be repentance, there has to be a recognition of need. And I think, in my personal experience, is it's too easy to come to God without recognizing my need. Uh, it's too easy to come to God thinking that I need God, but I don't really realize how badly I need God. And maybe that's just a, con a progression in our, in our spiritual life, in our Christian life, that we, we grow in learning how badly we need God. But this young man started to realize how bad off he was, started to recognize his need. Sometimes I, I work with people that, are, that want to make a commitment to, to Christ. It always scares me when... You ask them, you know, what's the problem in your life? What is your need? And they can't really come up with anything. It's not a very good sign. To, to really have repentance, we need to understand how needy we are of God. And I know, as, I know that 
probably the first time that we that we see see God as He is, we probably won't realize the fullness of our need. Um, somebody once said, I don't remember who this was, that there should be at least one sin in our life that we understand that separates us from God to have true repentance. If we can't come up with one sin that is separating us from God, there should be conviction about one thing. And if we, if we don't have that, then we don't really have true conviction in our lives. Verse 18, he decides to go back to his father. 18 through 20. Decides to go back to his father, and he says, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. He's, re- he's doing this in his head. He's thinking about what he's going to say to his father. And this is where we really hit repentance and brokenness. He's, he realizes his need, and now he's ready to do something about it. Repentance is more than just recognizing need. It's more than just even a desire for change. It's a turning around. Some of you that have, that have been in Guatemala probably remember working with drunks. They have a tremendous recognition of need. Very frequently, they'll come and they'll sob on your shoulder and tell you about how badly they need to change. And they'll even want to change. And the next day when they're sober, they're back in the same, same shape. They no longer recognize their need. And I'm not sure, I'm not always sure I do the right thing with them. Sometimes I talk with them, sometimes we pray together, and sometimes I say, go home, get sober, and then come talk to me. Um, Sometimes people in that shape recognize their need and actually make a change, and it sticks. But most of the time, they don't. Most of the time, they'll badly want to change and recognize their need, but they won't really do anything about it. And repentance is more than just knowing that we have a need. Repentance has to involve a turning around. This young man has sir, or mentioned several keys to repentance here. One is he recognized his need. He needed something more than he had. The second thing was he recognized he had messed up. He recognized his own personal failure. He says, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. He wasn't making any excuses. He didn't blame other people. He said, this is a problem between me and God and between me and my father. I have sinned. The third thing, he was humble. He said, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as a a hired servant. Make me as one of thy hired servants. This young man didn't come back to dad thinking about being restored to sonship, having all all the rights and the benefits of sonship once again. He came back to dad saying, I need a place to stay warm and a place to eat food. And if I can have some work and have those things, that's all I need. Came back very humbly to his father. <clears throat> and then the fourth thing which we don't he doesn't say but he implies it with being a hired servant he was willing to accept his father's will and authority again he was no longer bucking what dad had to say he was going to come back to dad and accept what his father was going to tell him to do true repentance means not only that we are looking for a solution It also means that we're ready to accept the solution that God gives us. We're ready to accept the authority and align ourselves with God's will. Repentance needs a recognition of need and a recognition of failure that we have sinned. Um, A recognition that it's it's more than just 
a bit of a touch-up that we need or a subtle change here or there or just a slight remodeling that, that we need, that we're a pretty good person already. The recognition that we have sinned, that we have wasted our inheritance and that we're no longer worthy. And I don't know how many of you work with other people trying to lead them down this path of repentance. Hopefully a, a number of you do. We need to bring people to recognize their own personal need. We don't just present them a savior as a solution to their problem without them recognizing their own need. Um, if, if the solution is given too simply or too easily and they don't recognize their need, the solution doesn't mean very much. I appreciate this son's humility. He didn't make a cell phone to his dad asking for a deposit to his account, saying that he'd had a small setback in his plans. But I think, this, I think this story would say that the son had cut everything with his father, and if he was going to return to his father, it had been a change in relationship. It was no longer son getting dad to do what he wanted. It was son coming back to his dad, being willing to submit to him. Then we have restoration, and that's the part of the story that we often, often hear about, and it is one of the most important parts of the story, uh, the faithfulness and the love of the Father. And I'm sure if we could see the whole story, we'd be more impressed, like if we could see this thing acted out or if we could see it in, as, it, as it really happened, uh, if it really happened. We would, we would be more, even more impressed by the Father's faithfulness and love. I'm sure the son didn't come back washed, dressed in his finest, um, you know, looking like he did when he left. The son came back dirty and uh, looking like a beggar, looking like somebody that wasn't worthy of, of his father's love. And the father was looking for him and, and ran toward him, fell on his neck and kissed him. And then the father gave him everything back that he had lost, basically. Um, he gave him back a robe, which was something that would have been reserved for somebody important that had come to visit. He gave him a special robe, gave him the ring, which said, you are my son again. It was probably the ring that would have allowed him to, to uh, make business transactions or whatever that his, his father would have wanted. It would have been the family ring that says, I'm part of this family. Gave him shoes again, saying he's more than a, more than a servant. Father gave him back tremendous, tremendously, gave him much more than the son was asking for. And I've wondered, what does, why could the father respond that way to the son? On the one hand, we can say, Dad, you're crazy. This, this boy's coming back, same pattern's going to repeat. And that's basically what the older son said. Um, one of the keys to his restoration was simply the father's love. His love is unconditional. God's love is, is unconditional, excuse me. God's love is unconditional to us. He is able to forgive anyone. There's not something that we've done that's too bad for God to forgive. And God consistently with us doesn't ask for a time of purgatory or approving to make sure that we really mean business with him. God is wise enough to be able to see into hearts to see beyond just exteriors. And thankfully God is a loving enough God that in a Merciful enough God that he forgives time after time when the prodigal comes back again and again and again, as happens in our lives. But I think there's another key to, to this here. Um, it's not that God is a fool. It's not that God 
just accepts anybody. But God waits for growth, and that's what the father's waiting for here. The father didn't go and look up son in far country and say, son, come home. The father waited until the son made that move to start coming back home. And he knew when he saw his son coming down the road that that meant there was a change in that boy's heart. There was something, something had happened because for the boy to come home meant that he had to be a humble boy. He couldn't come back and say, give me some more inheritance because there wasn't any. That was already gone. And the father knew that when the son was coming back, he wasn't coming back as a son. He was coming back with a different motive because he couldn't come back as a son. He had cut all his ties, and so things had to be different. And so I think that's where we see the the wisdom of God, that God waits for repentance. He waits to see a heart that is changing towards him. I I think it was probably David that said he'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Think of that with his son. He was coming back to his father saying, I'd rather be here, no matter what the position, than to be elsewhere. And God looks for that attitude in us, that humility and that desire to return to him. And then he responds to us in love. And it's not that, that's a, it's not that God is placing a bar out there. There's something that we have to achieve so that we can be his sons. He's simply looking for us to be willing to align ourselves with him. Once we're willing to get a, willing to, to submit to him, willing to be part of his program, if you want to put it that way, willing to be part of his, um, his plan, he's, he's willing to accept us. But he looks for that change, that turning around in our lives. Then we come to the part of joy. Uh, verse 23, 24, and down at the end of the chapter, verse 32, talks about rejoicing. When it says... Uh, began to be merry or be merry here. Spanish says rejoice. kind of like that better. I don't know what other translations you use, but um, the idea is that they are rejoicing that this son has come back. And the rejoicing, it's interesting. The, the story here, the rejoicing is simply about the son coming back. That the son has returned a changed son, a son ready to submit to the father, a son that's obedient and broken to the father. But I think on the son's part, there had to be rejoicing as well that dad was willing to take me back. And I, th- I think for us as, as Christians, even though Christ doesn't mention that part of the story here, the son from here on had to think about his sonship in a different light than he did before. Um, that we as Christians, sonship is a gift and not a, not a right. We live in dependence on the father, not expecting that the father is going to give us sonship. And I think the son, talking about us, I don't think we should ever feel worthy or deserving of, of God's love. And that's not to say that we've, we're in this state of doubt, wondering, does God really love me or not? And yet, it means that we, are in a, in a, that we live in the realization that the love of God is a gift to us. It's not something that we deserve. It's not something that we've earned. We have a security in that relationship, but it's always a gift. And no matter how long we live in that love, it's still a gift that he loves us. It's, it's still a grace that, that is saving us. And there's somehow in our relationship with God still a sense of unworthiness even after, even after years and years of serving him. I think of Isaiah and God's presence or John that fell before Christ um, as a dead man, I think it says. <clears throat> 
that even with their relationship with God, a deep relationship that they had, God still inspired awe and fear and reverence to see him. The son from here on recognized that sonship was a gift to him. There's joy when, when somebody repents. There's joy on the side of the, of the father and the church and also on the side of the, of the repentant one. And then the, the older son, we don't have time to talk about him very much at all, but just to say that the older son was a needy son too. He was an example of the Jews and of the Pharisees, an example of us. Um, he didn't recognize that everything came from the father. He thought he had what he needed. He said, I never disobeyed, I've always served you. And the father really wants to love and not just service. And maybe we're too often, like the older son, we can say, well, we've served. We see somebody else that has a fervent love for God. Don't recognize how, how real that love is and how much God wants that love. We all are prodigals. We're all also older sons. Strange thing is, a prodigal can become an older son. Um, even in a really strange way, where the, where the prodigal can say, I recognize my own need and you don't, therefore I'm better than you. <laughs> like, we, can, we can twist um, spiritual truths all around. We need to recognize that we are dependent upon the Father and our worth, our relationship, everything we have comes from the Father and not from anything that we've done. Down through history, you see stories of repentance, and God shares story after story with us. I was thinking in the Old Testament, the story of Saul and the story of David, two men that, that both had the same position, both made very poor choices in their lives at different points, and yet God blessed David and received David and cursed Saul. And I don't know what all the complete difference was, but one of the things you notice in the difference in between these two men, comparing these two men, was that David repented when he failed, and Saul didn't. And I think that was one of the keys in David's life, was that he was willing to repent. He did some bad things, disobeyed God and, and took a census of the people, fell into adultery, killed a man. There's a number of different things that, that David did wrong, and yet he repented. And God would call us to repentance uh, in our relationship with him. I don't know if we have another song, and then the give the time to Gerald. God bless you all. Thanks for your attention.